It's Adrian Bow, and it's episode 68 of the Adrian Bow podcast. And I'm so excited this week to introduce to you live from New York, Mr. Ryan Serhat from Million Dollar Listing New York. Ryan, how are you, buddy? Hey, I listen. I appreciate you you having me. I was super excited when you guys reached out. I love Australia. Uh, I love the way you guys sell real estate in Australia. I love everything about. Um, about your country. And I've been there once. I, I did a, a speech a couple years ago, two years ago, I guess. And it was an awesome, awesome time. Hey, Ryan, I heard you had a crack at the auction process. I'd love to hear that story. I think it's fascinating. I, I love sales. Actually, you know what? I love how you all sell in Australia. You know, when I first came to Australia and I was talking to a lot of the different agents and they were so amazed when they watched Million Dollar Listing New York at how we price property. They're like, wait a minute. You let the seller pick the price. You, as the agent, then spend all the money on marketing, all the time and effort. You'll keep it on the market for six months, a year, three years of your life. You don't make anything. You get yelled at every day and maybe it sells. And all you're trying to do is get some offer that's lower and then you're gonna try to bridge a gap with furniture or like, or expenses or closing. Oh, terrible. And I remember standing there and I think I was in Sydney. It's like, wait, 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 wait. That's not how you do it. I did not know that there was another way. Please explain to me. And I got walked through this amazing platform called the auction model Mm. that is mostly used um, um, in Australia, pretty, pretty singularly. And it blew my mind. So it's like, you know, that's a way that you can create a marketplace. Now, I know you have laws and rules now where you can't set a reserve price that is so far and away from what you can accept. And there's a lot of different ways to police your system. Otherwise, people could really, really, really abuse it. You know, because in my mind, I'm like, oh, $10 million property. I'll, I'll, I'll reserve $1 million. Let's get 1,000 people there and I'll bid it up to some sucker, right? Can't do that, apparently. But I left Australia and I came back and I told myself, you know what? I love that model. I'm doing that in New York. So I had a townhouse actually uh, at 337 West 87th Street uh, that was listed initially at $16 million, sat on the market for a year. I then got the listing and priced it at 14. Sellers were brutal, so mean. Like they would call me on the phone and they'd ask me, Ryan, do me a favor. I know you're probably busy. How do you, how do, how do you pronounce uh, F A I L? I remember that phone call so clearly. And I was like, how do I pronounce fail? Oh, that's oh, how you shit. pronounce it. I'm not failing. I'm doing everything I possibly can, Bob. And they were so tough. But we priced it then at 12. And they got to a point where they really needed to sell. And they said, listen, we must sell this house. $10 million is our number. You got to get us 10. Like there's... I. Everyone in New York City is looking between five and and fifteen million. Being priced at twelve, it is so hard to find someone who's going to come through to make an offer. There's so much inventory. There's years and years of inventory sitting on the market in New York City back then and now because of this process in which we sell homes here. And so I said, you know what? I just came from this amazing place. It's called Australia. I don't know if you've ever heard of it or been there. They do this thing and we're going to do it here. We're going to auction this house. And in New York, auction means bankruptcy, right? It means you suck. It means you couldn't do it. You had to lower the price. The bank is taking it back. Murder yourself. 
And I had to explain it to him how it's going to work and how we're going to do it and how we're going to create the game and how it's a game of attention and how the intention influenced sales. And I convinced them and I said, you want 10 million? We need to set the reserve price at six and a half. Okay. Now I know that that's really far. Okay. But good thing auctions aren't, aren't a thing here and I could just do whatever I want. And so what I said was, I'm going to figure out how to get this to 10 million. We're going to price it at six and a half. And what it's going to do, first and foremost, is it's going to freeze the marketplace. We're going to be the only people doing it. And so in the MLS, which is the, you know, the, the public listing system here, all these other houses out there between seven and $20 million are all of a sudden going to see a house that was 16 million go down to six and a half. And we're going to tell people that we're going to have one week of previews. And then on Sunday, we're going to take the best bids right? In our own way. And everyone, and no one had any idea what we're doing. It was so weird and so crazy. And the sellers hated me because all of a sudden all their friends and all the brokers that they had met over all the years started emailing them and saying, what the fuck are you doing? You lowered the price to six. You idiot. What Sir Hint brainwashed you. Don't believe what you see on TV. It's those teeth or whatever the hell. <laughs> like, and so they got, they were so upset. The minute I did it, they're like, fix it, fix it, change it back, change it back, change it back. I'm like, I can't. We're, we're in it now. Let's just see what happens. If we don't get a good price, I will raise the price back up. It's fine. We had, uh, I want to say, 82 people through in that week when we had averaged maybe one a month before that. Wow. Uh, the elevator in the townhouse broke. The fire department had to show up. People were stuck in line outside. Because for the first time in that market, and this was years ago, all of a sudden there was a prime property on the Upper West Side of New York City that was a deal. That was listed as a deal. And what worked well for me was that everybody got it. Everyone knew what I was doing. Everyone knew, especially when they saw everybody, that we weren't selling this for six and a half. I needed to create a market for it. And so I did. And we had a bunch of people who offered five, six, six and a half, seven, and one person was eight. And we had one person of those 82 who came to us and said, listen, I'm sure you're getting tons of offers. Well, you know, over all the prices, we love this house. We saw that it was listed for 16. It was just way too much for us, even at 12. So we never came and saw it before, but now we're so confused. And I don't know what's going on, but our number's 10. If we could get it for 10, we'd buy it for 10, but we're probably not going to get it. And we sold it for $10 million to those wow. people. And I remember that day, and that was probably one of the most exciting days I've ever had in real estate because it was activity and it was like blood flow and adrenaline and people were calling, people were angry, people were fighting, and I loved it. I loved it. Talk about building brand. I was so loud with that sale process for that one house. And like I, I sell 500 houses a year here. That one house with the way that we sold it all of a sudden created my brand and people started calling me to start auctioning property. And then I got into a problem because it worked on that house because we went from 16 to six and a half and ended at 10. But then I had people calling me with shitty properties, <laughs> terrible properties, overpriced properties. And they're like, and people who also weren't motivated to sell. We said, yeah, okay. Yeah. Drop it to whatever you want, but I'm not selling for a dollar under 5 million. I'm like, yeah, but it's not, it's, it's only worth three. This doesn't work. And so then the auction model started to catch on. People started to do it and it didn't work. 
And it started really confusing the marketplace. And so we eventually, we just had to stop because there wasn't a good platform for it here. And New Yorkers are <coughs> equal, equally the greediest and uh, the greediest and also the most jealous people in the world. Like they will, they will overpay if they feel like they're going to lose something, but they will also negotiate the price of a carrot. Like <laughs> they are that stingy. But it was interesting because it created my brand and your brand, right, is your reputation. My reputation at that time, having come back from Australia for a good period of time, was a guy who can auction property. And I tried to run with it. Now, it didn't stick with me for a long time because the auction model doesn't, like I said, doesn't really, really work here. But it stuck with me for a long enough period of time that I was able to build a bunch of different listings from it. And what I realized was <clears throat> it wasn't just the auctions. It was the fact that it worked. It was success. And success begets success. So whether it's the auction model on that house on 87th Street or a sale over here, I need to scream all of my successes from every mountaintop I possibly can because that's the only way people are going to call me and I need to differentiate myself. People didn't call me and reach out to me and give me business because I sold 87th Street over ask or under ask. They called me because I was doing it differently. Right. And so like what I also learned there is that I had to direct the deal. You know, a lot of agents came before me and a lot of agents come before me on a lot of properties and they, they blame the seller. They blame the market. I always come into every deal that I do just like that one. And I look at it as I'm not a broker. I'm a director. I'm going to direct a movie. All of the clients, all of the parties involved, all of the different prospects, all of those people are the actors in the movie and I'm going to direct them. And because I'm the director, I know how this movie is going to end and it's going to end with a deal. And I am going to direct all of these players to do exactly what I want to do. And a lot of times, and if you look, you're we're in my office right now, I've got booklets and papers everywhere. I will actually sit down and script out how I think the deal is going to work. If it's a difficult deal, you don't have to do this type of work. If it's easy, if you get something that's priced right, it sells tomorrow. Great. That's your base salary because you are supposed to sell it because it sold itself. Everything else, that's your bonus, right? That's what you're made of. That's how you define yourself. That's what I realized that I had to direct. So I would map out, okay, this is how I'm going to pitch the listing and this is how I'm going to get the deal done. This is where the seller wants it. This is where I think buyers are going to come in and then we're going to get over here and I'm going to figure out how I'm going to get to the price that it's actually going to sell for. And that's how I'm going to dictate how this deal gets done. And I'm not going to tell either of them where I think the deal gets done because you've got to watch the movie before you get to the end. And it works almost every time because you know how they talk about the power of positive thinking. If you imagine the price the house gets sold for and you imagine the excitement around the sale, I'm telling you more often than not, you're going to get that home sold because you projected it happening. And you're going to project it happening at that particular number. And you're negotiating people together. Same thing like that house. Like I wasn't the only broker that came in and told those sellers to adjust the price. I just came in with the strategy and a different cast of characters for a different movie for the same exact property. And I came in and I decided what the end game was going to be because they kind of told me they wanted to sell for 10. And so I just had to figure out how to get everybody together to make the film that I wanted to make, right? 
Brian, I love the philosophy about find a keeper doer. Could you let us know a little bit more about that, please? Well, your day has to be structured as such. And I talk about this in the course and in the book. And it's how I, even if you look at my calendar right now, I don't know how to take the camera out of my computer and show you, but (laughs) I structure my day according to something I call finder, keeper, doer. FKD, get fucked. There's no, there's no you, (laughs) but get FKD. Finder, keeper, doer. So my day is structured every day since... 2011, I want to say, in those three phases, because I'm an entrepreneur, right? I'm a 1099 contractor. I sell homes. No one pays me a salary. I don't get health benefits. I got to wake up every day and be the CEO, CFO, COO of my own life, of my own business. So how do I do that? And I didn't know how to do that in 2011. It's my first job I've ever had other than Jack Ryan Wood and holding phones. Like, what do I do? So every morning, the first two hours of my morning, and this can be flexible, obviously. Appointments come first, right? But if you have nothing to do, or you just have an appointment at three, or you you feel lost, and most of us can feel lost all the time, you structure the beginning of your day, first two hours, as the finder. That's the time where you actually focus, and you sit there, and you find new business. You think about yourself the way a head of a company would. The president would, the CEO, the, the chief would. How, how, did, how does the coach think about their football team? You use those two hours and you put your brain to work. I'm telling you, your brain is capable of doing a lot when you allow it to versus when you're running around all day long doing busy work and then looking back at your life in a year or two or 10 and saying, I don't have a whole lot to show for it, but damn, was I busy. Busyness is a crutch. It's a crutch we all hold on to. It's like going to the gym to do the same exercise every single day. It does jack shit for you because then you go home, you eat like crap. But guess what? I went to the gym. I worked out. I did the work. You didn't do the work because you didn't think about it in a smart way. And you didn't try to change the system. And the system is your day. Beginning is finder, finding business, being that chief. And then the middle part, okay, maybe just for an hour, is the keeper. The keeper is the one who focuses on the math and the numbers and the advertising and the marketing budgets. It's important for you to know how much money you have in the bank and how much you can spend every single day. So all those genius ideas you just came up with as a finder, now you have to execute on them and figure out how you're going to pay for them. Do you have an ad budget with your brokerage? Do you have spending cash? Is it dinners that you're going to do for clients? Are you going to buy everyone a pumpkin in October? What are you going to do, right? It's going to be summer in a couple months, how are you going to market yourself that way? Maybe you're going to be the one who gives out branded surfboard, whatever your thing is, right? In that keeper time, you focus on that, like the CFO of your own company, because it's important to be in tune with yourself that way. And then the rest of your day, you're the doer, you're the COO, you're the back office, you're showing, you're painting, you're running around, you're then doing all the things that the finder and the keeper actually set up to do. And you tie that process in with good follow-up and accountability, the three fives that we just went through, and you set good goals for yourself, and not just sale goals, income goals, right? I I don't understand how agents always say, well, I want to sell a billion dollars. I'm like, okay, how much money do you want to make? And they're like, whatever a billion dollars gets me. I'm like, okay, well, figure out how much money you want to make to survive. 
figure out what the growth is, and then back out the math that way to figure out how much you need to sell based on an average commission and your average split. Anything above that is bonus. That's your base salary, and that's how you're going to figure out your life. So you're going to find your keeper doer every single day. You're going to generate leads with the 3-5 rule. You're going to follow up, follow through, follow back with everybody, and do what you say you're going to do. And all of that is going to build an amazing brand of accountability. That's not a hard worker. That's someone who sets expectations. That's someone who clients are excited to talk to because they've got their shit together. And so many of us, and I'm sure a lot of us right now, are, are not those people who have their stuff together and they really, 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 really want to be. And that's, that's the sauce there. That is, that is how you put it all together. And at the end of the day, like I said at the beginning, we are all on a, a river of success. We just don't know where the success is. It's around that bend. It's under that rock. And sometimes if we get lucky and we paddle hard enough and you don't get out of the boat and take your boat home because it's easier and cheaper and you just keep fucking paddling, the river eventually is going to lead you to success. And, and it's not over because every river ends in the ocean. Every single one. And the ocean is where it gets super exciting because it is crazy scary, but you have so many more options and you don't have to deal with waterfalls and all those things. Now you just got sharks, right? Now you get sharks and storms and bigger things, but that's okay. Because at the end of the fucking ocean, where do you hit? Like every other good retired person, you land on the damn beach. You know, I know pivot is a bit a bit cliche given uh, COVID, but obviously during the lockdown, as you said, rather than just calling and asking for business, you're literally just touching base with people and checking in. Um, has that carried through now? I know we're not fully post-COVID, but we're certainly in that transition phase. So is there yeah. anything for you that you implemented similar to that that got you a $30 million listing that you're now going to perpetually implement into your business going forward? Well, the 3-5 rule for sure. And that was something that we just kind of developed during COVID because we were stuck at home on the couch. And, and it was kind of just by envy a little bit. Like I, I started reading about all the people that created businesses and changed the world in recessions and pandemics, you know, everything from, you know, the sport of basketball to the guitar, like all these things that came up during really, really down times, you know, like gravity was founded during a pandemic. Like it's just, it's, it's, like it was just crazy. And so that has carried over for sure. But a lot of the work that we've been doing since New York opened has been handling a lot of that inflow that came from three months of reaching out to 15 people a day. And that, that was me. Like I did 15 and then I have a whole team and I think they did it. I wasn't there with them. They say they did. They've been pretty busy ever since with, you know, good clients. Uh, but that's, that's kind of carried over. But other than that, we haven't really had to pivot too much. You know, we, we stayed working um, and we were in New York, for the most part, my team was still here. We don't give up on the city. Uh, we didn't leave like a lot of people. Uh, you know, some of our things are virtual now. I got to wear masks when I show and gloves and the whole thing and can't touch people anymore, but that's kind of okay. I didn't really like touching people in the first place. 
But it's just really cool to know that not just by asking for the business, but simply checking in on people. Because as agents, Ryan, as you know, we can be talking heads to clients. We're like, oh, you know, we had three people through or what do you think of the property? And like, rarely do we actually pause momentarily and say, hey, how are you doing? How are you feeling? How's the process going for you? So I think that's a yeah. really good takeaway, man. The other, well, the other thing... What I'll, what I'll say, sorry, not to cut you off, but yeah, so man. I don't forget, it's, you know one of the things they teach you when you're, when you're acting. So in acting school, and I learned this at the, the at the globe theater where I, I did uh, Shakespeare in London when I was in college um, because the language is not normal, right? Yeah. It's, 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 it's tricky to learn. And it's like you, you memorize Shakespearean dialogue, like you would a poem um, and a great, prof- a great teacher there. And a great actor said, you need to learn to listen to people to respond to them and not to listen to them to reply. Because if you listen to them to wait for your line, to respond with what your line is going to be, because you're not listening to understand what they're truly saying, then it's going to feel, it's going to be bad acting. It's not going to look good. It's going to be inauthentic. It's a little terrible. And that always stuck with me. And it goes the same for clients and people today, right? You, so like you just said, so many of us are talking heads. We call up somebody because we want to talk to them about real estate mm-hmm. and we listen to their sob story about their dog or their kid or this, that. And we're like, oh, crazy, crazy. Anyway, blah, 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 blah. And yeah. you don't build relationships that way. And then people don't like you. Like if people aren't calling you back, you need to take a hard look in the mirror and maybe record yourself while you have phone conversations and listen to how you sound when you talk to people. Are you listening to, are you, are you listening to respond to what they're saying? Are you listening to reply with what you want it to say? It's a very, very important distinction for salespeople to understand. And it was, it was huge for me. Um, and I think everybody should record million dollar listing. What it did for me in the beginning uh, was show me how terrible I am at a lot of things on a national level. And then everyone on Twitter reminded me of it. Like (laughs) you want to have a good mirror into your life, put yourself on TV. Like it is. And I realized what I was doing and it, and I fixed things. So season two changed up a little bit, season three, season four, so on and so forth. Um, So I think everybody should use cameras and phones to just monitor your business and how you operate your business and how you talk to people. If you're not closing enough deals, it might just be in the way you talk. Yeah. Awesome, man. Hey, so a big buzzword at the moment is, you know, what's your purpose? What's your why? You've got Simon Sinek talking about it and obviously a lot of other, um, you know, people in the industry. Uh, so, I mean, you know, the authenticity that you show, you know, from day one when I started watching season one right up until now, you know, you had that drive and that passion and that discipline. But would it be fair to say since you've had a family um, that's just exploded, you know, because now you've got, you know, obviously a beautiful wife and another human being that you've brought into the world. Um, you know, discipline is difficult to maintain. Motivation is easy to get you started. Would you say, without trying to sound cliche, that that is your purpose and that is your why at this stage? Yeah, yes. I mean, I, I, in the, I, I will always take care of my family. And I think they're pretty lucky to have me as a dad, if I'm being honest, like they lucked out, you know what I mean? Like life could have gone a lot worse. Um, I, I feel massive responsibility to my team um, and to my clients and the people who hire me, who put their investments in my hands. Like I, 
it keeps me up at night. And that's something that I still have to work on to really try to detach myself personally from, from the job. But at the same time, my, my personal attention to the work is what brings me more business because people know that I actually give a shit and I actually care. Like this isn't just about numbers for me. Like the most important quote in my entire life is if you take care of the work, the work will take care of you. And you can't take care of work like just, but just by doing it, like you actually got to take care of it and care about it and care about clients. And that's how you're going to get price reductions. That's how you're going to get deals done. That's how you're going to negotiate. Clients are going to negotiate with you because they like you and they understand where you're coming from and they trust you, not because you told them to. So like, it's about finding that fine line. Yeah. Got it. The other thing is, which you were really accurate in, in uh, summarising the way we do business in Australia, it, it, it certainly seems a lot simpler. Um, for us, obviously, we've got to find the sellers. That's a big uh, main pillar for us. I mean, you guys get the luxury of acting as buyers, agents and sellers agents. Um, what advice would you give to agents who really 80% of their focus is trying to identify people that want to list real estate, you know, like apart from the obvious lead generation uh, techniques, what, what tips would you give the listeners? So there's a lot. I mean, first success begets success. It all starts with one. If you have zero listings and you're brand new to the business, you want to find someone in your office who has listings and offer to work with them for a very, very tiny percentage, 10%, 15%, 20, whatever they'll give you free coffee as long as they let you work on it. Because after that, you will always be able to say that we just sold this house. We. Okay, be careful. Don't say you. Don't get in trouble. Don't ruffle feathers in the brokerage community. We just sold it with Bob. Just sold it with Sally, who, whoever. Um, uh, and that's, they kind of, that's the first way you do it. And that's why teams exist. And that's why you know, I've always had a team and why my team's so large because newer agents can come on and we can nurture them and I will, I will ruin their lives slowly but surely and I will really, really exhaust them. But they get to be on 10 listings really quickly and they get to run around and when they sell and I sell them, they get to say forever that those are on their resume and that they sold them because, and I allowed that to happen and that's totally fine. Um, and if you have one listing, you can get another. Like that's all it takes is one. It just takes one. You just have to put the listing to work, right? From that listing, there should be another seller in the building or on the block or in the vicinity who's thinking about selling or who had previously tried selling but didn't. And maybe you have buyers from your house who've been previewing your listing or however you guys are doing it that could be good for theirs. Could you bring them by? Let's talk about the process. From there, you're meeting clients anywhere. Right. And kind of setting your pipeline. I, I, I don't remember his name, but I tuned in a little bit earlier. And the guy that was just talking before was just talking about planting seeds and letting them germinate. Right. And that's that's really what it's about. Right. Is planting those seeds today with people that you go to the gym with people that go to your same restaurants, friends of your kids, you know, other wives, all of these different people. You're planting those seeds all day long for yourself tomorrow. You know, in, in the book and in the course, I talk a lot about future you. Um, and it's, it's kind of this like obsession that I have with myself as an 80 year old man, because I'm, I'm, I, I'm not afraid of death. I'm, a, I'm afraid that I'm going to meet myself when I'm 80 and he's going to be disappointed that I won't have done enough when I was young and could walk and bat, my back didn't hurt. And I didn't have to wear a diaper like that. I didn't do enough 
when I was 36. Like that I didn't do enough because I had the time, right? And I could, I could stay up till two in the morning getting work done. Like I'm terrified of what that guy will do. And I'm kind of terrified that also that he might be super wealthy and successful and invent the time machine and come back and kick my ass. Like I also don't want to have to fight myself, right? In some time cop battle of the ages. So like, how do I protect my business and set myself up today and plant all those seeds so they can germinate so that 80 year old Ryan is as an amazing, amazing life. Um, Cause that's what it's all about, right? That's our, that's my, that's my role model. That's my idol. That's who I look up to. I look up to myself in the future. Like he better be awesome. And I gotta, I, I gotta make it so. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in on another episode of the Adrian Bow podcast. And, of course, thank you to Ryan Serhat, who's been incredible, sharing his knowledge and wisdom and also some tips and hacks to help you implement into your business immediately. Until next week, listeners, thank you once again and tune in for the next episode of the Adrian Bow podcast. See you next week.